0: This week, I'm going to share with you two short stories, and then I'm going to bring back two stories about slichot from previous episodes that maybe some of the listeners didn't get a chance to listen to, or if you did listen to them, you do not remember them. They're two of my favorite stories. So the first story takes place in Kiryas Yol, which for anybody who doesn't know, is a Haredi town in New York, a Sadmer Hasidim. And for anybody who's not a Hasid, you might think that all Hasidim look the same. It's probably how people who are not Asian look at Asians and think that Chinese and Japanese and Koreans all look the same. But of course they're not. And neither have Hasidim. And amongst the Hasidic groups, there's some groups that clash with one another. And one of those groups is Chabad and Satmar, Both Hasidic groups. And both have a little bit of tension between them, or really, in the past, quite a lot of tension. And it happened that once there was a Lubavitcher Hasid who was traveling to his family to the Catskills in upstate New York to join them for the Holy Shabbos. And he left on Friday, planning to leave at a certain time. But as life goes, sometimes you're not always able to keep your own schedule. And he ended up leaving a little later than he planned, and found himself in bumper-to-bumper traffic on the highway going to the Catskills. And he had a smartphone with ways on it, so he decided that he would try to find another way. But every way he tried seemed like it was going to take him just about enough time to get there. And he was a little concerned. And as he's starting to travel and get closer and closer, still a while to go, there's an accident on the road and traffic stops. And he knew there's no way that he's going to make it to his family for Shabbos. So he calls his wife and he says, I'm really sorry. I got stuck in traffic and there was an accident and I'm simply not going to be able to make it. I'm going to Kiryas to spend Shabbos there. And now the wife, of course, understood, and this Lubavitcher understood, that being a Lubavitcher chassid and coming to Kiras, without any plans, any food, clothes for Shabbos, anyone to stay with, anything at all, kind of a crazy thing. But he didn't have a choice, and he knew. they might be chassidim that don't like Chabad chassidim, but they are chassidim, and they are serious religious Jews. And Hashem, everything would work out. So he arrives in town just before Shabbos, and drives straight to the main shul. He checks his pockets and takes out any mukte, anything he wasn't allowed to carry or have on Shabbos. He locks the door, puts the keys under a rock behind a bush, and heads into the main shul, to Daven Mencha, before Shabbos. And of course, everyone there is a sadmer Chasid. And here, this Labavachar chasid comes walking in, and all eyes turn to him. Besides feeling a little uncomfortable with everybody staring at him, His first thought is, I wonder if there's a Te'ilat Hashem here. I wonder if there's a Chabad sitter here. And he started looking on the bookshelves to see if he could find the sitter that he used to davening from. And to shock and surprise, he found one sitter. It was in pretty bad shape. Seemed like maybe somebody had put it there as a joke. But he took it as a sign from heaven that everything was going to be fine. And they daven, Kabbalah Shabbat, the Friday night davening. And afterwards, this Lubavitcher has no food, no place to sleep. Doesn't know what's going to be. And he's just standing there hoping that somebody will invite him for a meal. One by one, everyone starts walking out of the shul until there's only one guy left in shul along with this Lubavitcher Chasid. And this Sadmer Chasid comes over to the Lubavitcher. He says, shalom Aleichem, Alechim, Shabbos, where are you from? He says, oh, I'm from Crown Heights. And I was coming to meet my family in the Catskills. But there was traffic and I left too late. And then there was an accident on the road. And I didn't have any choice. I had to come here. I just figured, Bezat Shem, someone would help me out. And you see the sitter that I'm holding here. And the Sadmer looked at it, and he knew that was a sitter that nobody ever touched. Labavitcher said, "See, I took this sitter being here as a sign that everything's going to work out." So the Sadmer says to him, "Listen, my wife and I would be happy to host you. You can also sleep in our house." And so the two of them head back to the Sadmer Chassid's home, where there's a beautiful table set for Shabbos, and they make Kiddush and Hamotzi. They start to talk with one another. And they start sharing Torah ideas and Hasidic ideas. And they were talking for hours and hours and really enjoying each other's company. The next day, they go to shul together, come back, have the second meal, the third meal. And now it's Moti Shabbos and the Labavachir can go get his car and finally drive to be with his family in the Catskills. And he says to this Satmer Hasid, You know, I have to tell you something amazing. When I was a Bachar, when I was a yeshiva student and a young man, I came here once on a Thursday night to teach the Tanya, which is the seminal book of Chabad Hasidis, written by the Alter Rebbe, whose birthday, by the way, is on Chayalul, coming up right now. And he said, I came here on Thursday night to teach Tanya, and I knew it was kind of a crazy thing to do. Because, you know, Sadmer Chassidim, they don't like Lubavitcher so much, and for sure they don't want to learn Tanya. But I figured, you know, my job as a Lubavitcher is to go into places where I feel there's some spiritual darkness and try to bring some spiritual light. And I figured maybe one of the Satmar Hasidim would want to learn some Lubavitcher Hasidus. And so I announced some teaching and a couple of guys actually showed up. We were learning Tanya and things were going really well. And then in the middle of me teaching, a few Satmar Hasidim came in and they shouted at me and they said, what are you doing here? You have no right to be here. This is our town. Get out of here, Labavacher. And I held the tanya and I said, listen, I'm a man of peace. I just came to learn Hasidus. That's all. I'm not looking for any trouble. And so one guy, he comes over and he kicks me. And another guy, he picks up a bench and he hit me with the bench. He knocked me onto the floor. The other Sadmer Hasidim picked me up and they said, we're so sorry. But they whispered to me, you better get out of here because this is not safe for you. He said, so I got back in my car, and drove back to Crown Heights. He said to me, you know, that was a long time ago. And I figured I would take my chances again here. And he said, after you hosted me for Shabbos, and you were so kind to me. I mean, I came here with nothing. You gave me food and a place to sleep. And look at these wonderful conversations we had about Hasidus. I have to say, things have really changed. Now I feel like we're brothers. Look at how far we've come. And the Sadma Hasid is listening to the Lubavitcher. And he says to him, do you mind telling me that story again? And the Lubavitcher thought, this is kind of strange, but he said, yeah, sure, I'll tell him the story again. He said, you know, I came here to teach Tanya, and a couple of guys showed up, then they asked me to leave. When I refused, one of them picked up a bench and hit me, and I left. That's the story, and now you know you and I are getting along so well. So he noticed that the Saddamer Hasid was crying. And the Lubavitcher Hasid says to him, what are you crying about? It's fine, look at you and I, we got along so well, everything's fine. He says, no, you don't understand, my friend. He said, for 15 years, three times a day, I've been davening to the Rebunot Shalom, the master of the world, to send me the person that I hit with the bench so that I could do tshuva. And now the Lubavitcher said to him, do you mind saying that again? The Sadmer said, I'm the one who hit you with the bench. I'm the one who tried to kick you out, threatened you. He said, after I did that, I came home and I said, what did I do? I didn't know who you were. I didn't know your name. I didn't know anything. Fifteen years. Three times a day. I asked Hashem to send you to me. And he did. And now, my friend, I'm asking you for forgiveness. Do you forgive me? And of course, Lubavitcher forgave him. And the two of them hugged and became close friends. And that's the power of prayer, my friends. And the power of the desire to do tshuva. And to fix what you did wrong. May we all merit to do tshuva. And fix the relationships in any way we can. Uh... I have another short story for you. Reb Hillel Chernin, who was the son of a famous chassid, Reb Meir Mordechai Chernin, once told the story that when he was a young man, he decided to not be so religious. And his father, Reb Meir Mordechai, rebuked him. He said to him, it's not okay. Gotta keep Shabbos, gotta keep kosher, daven every day. But his son, Hillel, he didn't listen. And during a private audience, a Yechidis with the Rebbe Maharash, who was the fourth Lebavisha Rebbe. Hillel's father, Mordechai Meir, complained about his son. And he said to the Rebbe Maharaj, maybe if Hashem caused him to break his leg or something like that, maybe then he would change his ways. And a short time later, Hillel, the boy, was hit by a wagon and hurt his leg. And the pain was so intense, that pus poured out from the wound. And every day it got worse and worse. And the doctors couldn't figure out how to heal it. So his father, Rebbe Mordechai, says to his son Hillel, No, do you get the hint? Will you improve yourself now? If you do, if you promise to fix your ways, I'll ask the Rebbe for a bracha and you'll recover. So seeing as that Hillel's leg wasn't getting any better, it was just getting worse and worse and the doctors didn't know what to do with it, he told his father, yes, I promise. I'll keep Shabbos and I'll stop rebelling. And so the father traveled back to Labavich. He told the Rebbe and the Rebbe gave a bracha. By the time the father got back, his son Hillel had completely healed. And time passed and the Rebbe Maharash passed away. And now Hillel was a man and once again stopped keeping Shabbos, stopped keeping kosher. And his father warned him. He said, if you don't stop going off the path, I'm going to go to the Rebbe's ohel to his grave and write a pan, a note, telling the Rebbe that I had strayed and asking the Rebbe to take back his bracha. And even before his father arrived in Bitebsk, where the Rebbe is buried, the pain returned to Hillel's legs. And even pus started coming out from the same place that he was injured as a boy. And once again, he promised that he would stop doing the things that he was doing. And then his father went back to the Ohel and davened for a bracha. And once again, just like that, Hillel was healed. And many decades later, Reb Hillel shared, Ever since then, whenever I'm strong in my Yiddishkeit, whenever I'm strong in my commitment to being a Jew and keeping halacha, I'm perfectly healthy. But when I slide somewhat... I start to feel it in my legs. Don't wait for hints like that, my friends. Just strengthen yourself again and again and again, but not from a place of threats or pain, rather from a place of faith in Hashem emunah, and and Simcha and joy. <laughs>
1: Sohei ya mio vai ya
0: So here are two more stories that I shared in previous years. Really, two of some of my favorite stories in the whole podcast. I tell them all the time. I tell them every year on slichot time. So here's the first one. It was the first night of slichot by the Hei Rav Shalom of Bells. The Bells of Rebbe. And all of the Chassidim were waiting for the Rebbe to show up. But the Rebbe wasn't coming. Half an hour passes. 45 minutes. Almost an hour passes and the Rebbe shows up. The Hasidim part the way for the Rebbe to reach the front of the shul, and the Rebbe begins the davening. And at some point in the middle of Slichot, the back door of the shul opens, and in comes this old Hasid, sits down on a back bench, Zelig is his name. And when the davening is over, the Rebbe goes and speaks to his gabai, and then goes to his room, and the gabai comes over to Zelig and says to him, Reb Zelig, the Rebbe would like to see you. Zelig says to the Gabbai, what do you mean the Rebbe wants to see me? There's a thousand Hasidim here, why would the Rebbe want anything to do with me? And the Gabbai says, it doesn't matter, the Rebbe wants to see you. Come, let's go. So Zelig, he goes with the Gabbai into the Belzer Rebbe's room, and the Rebbe says to him, no, Zelig, sit down. Zelig doesn't want to sit down, because he's standing in the presence of the Rebbe. So the Rebbe sits down, and then Zelig sits down. Zelig waits for the Rebbe to speak, and the Rebbe says, Tell me, Reb Zelig, what were you doing before slichot? And Zelig says to the Rebbe, I don't understand the question. The Rebbe said, Tell me, why were you late for slichot? And Zelig, who was surprised, he said, The Rebbe noticed that I was late for slichot? The Rebbe said, Yeah, the Rebbe notices many things. And then the Rebbe said to Zelig, Nu, why were you late for slichot? And he said, Rebbe, I had some things to take care of. So now the Rebbe got more specific and he said, Zelig, listen, just tell me, what was happening in your hut at the edge of town before Slichot? And Zelig is now shocked. His eyes are wide open. He says, Rebbe, how could you possibly know what I was doing in my house? The Rebbe has such holy vision. The Rebbe said, No, Zelig. My Gabba and I, we got in the wagon and we rode out to the edge of town. And then we walked a little bit on the, the path to get to your little hut in the forest and we watched what you were doing. And he said, What did the Rebbe see? The Rebbe said, the Rebbe saw you pouring a cup of vodka for yourself, a cup of vodka for somebody else who wasn't there, and then you said a little something, you drank the vodka, you went around the other side of the table, you drank that vodka, then you sat back down, poured yourself another cup, poured the other empty cup, drank them both, stood up, and started dancing around the table. So tell me, Zelig, what was that all about? For sure the Rebbe has holy vision. If he knew to come to my house at that exact time, When that was happening, the Rebbe waved him off. He said, doesn't matter what the Rebbe knows. What's important is what were you doing? Please explain it to me. So Zelik says, you know, Rebbe, my wife passed away many years ago. My children are all grown and they moved far away. And I'm left alone in this little hut in the forest. And what did I have? I had a little goat put out some milk. And with the milk, I could make a little bit of money. And I had some chickens that would lay eggs every now and then, and the eggs I could sell for some money. And that's how I got by. One day, the goat gets sick. I tried to nurse it back to health, but it was clear to me that this goat was not going to make it. So I said to Hashem, listen, Hashem, I don't have very much left in this world. This goat means a heck of a lot to me. If you don't let this goat live, I'm going to stop putting on tefillin in the morning. And just like that, the goat died. And just like that, I stopped putting on tefillin. And then the chickens started to get sick. And I said to Hashem, seriously, you took away the goat. Now you're gonna take away my chickens? That's all I have left. And one by one, the chickens started to die. And I said to Hashem, listen, if you kill off all my chickens, I'm not gonna keep Shabbos anymore. That's it, you and I are finished. And just like that, the chickens died and I stopped keeping Shabbos. And now we're getting closer to Slichot and I'm not putting on tefillin anymore and I'm not keeping Shabbos anymore, and I'm thinking, how could I ever forgive Hashem? How could I ever heal this relationship with the God that I'm so angry at? And then I remembered Shmuel the butcher. Shmuel and I, we had a real big argument, and we didn't talk with each other for months. And then one day, Shmuel shows up at my house with a bottle of vodka, and he says to me, Nu, Zelig, take out some glasses. We're saying alachaim. I thought to myself, I'm going to say alachaim with Shmuel, who's like my biggest enemy? He pours me a vodka. He pours himself a vodka. And then Shmuel says to me, listen, Zelig, we Jews, we have enough enemies. Let's not be enemies. Let's be friends. And then he lifts his cup and says, L'chaim. And I lifted mine and said a L'chaim. And then he said, you know what? Let's say another L'chaim. So we said another L'chaim together. And then we were feeling really good. And we started dancing together. And we hugged. And we forgot about all of the anger that we had between us. And we were able to make up. So here I'm thinking, okay, this is what I have to do for Hashem. I poured myself a glass of vodka. I poured Hashem a glass of vodka. And I said, Hashem, we Jews, we have enough enemies. Let's be friends. And I drank my glass of vodka. And I noticed that Hashem didn't drink his, so I drank it for him. Then I poured another glass of vodka for myself and another one for Hashem. And since Hashem wasn't drinking his, I drank it for him. And then I started dancing around the table. And then I was ready for shlichot, so I showed up to shul and joined the minion. So the Belzer says to Zelig, You should know, Reb Zelig, that it's in the merit of your tshuva, and your fixing your relationship with Hashem, that the prayers of everyone in this community were accepted. There was a terrible decree on this community, and all of my davening couldn't annul the decree. But you're making up with Hashem. Did the trick and allowed all of our prayers, including the rebbe's, to reach the highest places and change our fate for the better.
1: I lie, I lie.
0: Mamesh, such a sweet story. And here is the second story. There was a great Rebbe, the Nimerov Rebbe, who during the time of Slichot, the special prayers, said early in the morning from the month of Elul until Yom Kippur, the Hasidim of the Nimerov Rebbe liked to say that their Rebbe would go up to heaven during the time of Slichot. Now one day, a Litvak, a misnaget, someone who didn't believe in the ways of Hasidim, came to the town of Nimerov. In the time of Slichot, or Slichas, as they would say back then. And it's early in the morning, and the Hasidim start saying Slichot. Now the Litvak knows that there's a Rebbe here in Nimerov, And he asks the Hasidim, where's the Rebbe? I mean, doesn't the Rebbe say Slichot like everyone else? They said, ah, our Rebbe. This time of the year, our Rebbe ascends to heaven. He goes up to Shemaim. And that's where he says his Slichot. He's not here with us. He's up there. With all the angels and the tzaddikim and all the souls that left this world. So the Litvak he says, give me a break. What are you talking about? Your Rebbe ascended to heaven. Says in the Gemara that even Moshe Rabbeinu, during his lifetime, he never ascended to heaven. And he spoke directly to God. You mean to tell me that your Rebbe is greater than Moshe Rabbeinu? And the Chassidim said, ah, you know, you Litvaks, You take the life out of everything. Just relax a little bit, okay? Our Rebbe goes to heaven. Now, they gave him a sefer, a book of slichot, and they said, no. Focus on your davening, quit asking such silly questions. But for a Litvak, he wasn't a chassid. And he said, no, this is not enough for me. I need to know, where is the Rebbe going? If the Rebbe is going to heaven, I want to see it with my own eyes. And so that night, he snuck into the Rebbe's room, and he went under the Rebbe's bed. And he waited until the Rebbe would get up so he could follow the Rebbe and see where the Rebbe was going. Now when this Litvak was laying under the Rebbe's bed, he was of course reviewing words of Torah the whole night. He'd had the really strong cup of coffee before, and he was well alert. He had no problem staying up, but he could feel something special coming out of the Rebbe. It wasn't a normal thing to lay down under a Rebbe's bed, and he felt a little bit of the fear of God being in that special place. I'm guessing that the Rebbe knew that there was a litvok sleeping under his bed, but he probably thought, it's good for the litvok, so it's good enough for me. Very early in the morning, the Rebbe gets up out of bed, washes his hands, says Birgote Shachar, and then, instead of his normal Rebbe clothes, the Rebbe opens his closet and takes out some peasant clothes. He puts on a dirty shirt, dirty pants, long leather boots, also covered a bit in mud, puts on a hat, takes a special bag with a rope, and in the rope there's an axe. And the Rebbe walks out the front door. Now, of course, the Rebbe was wearing tzitziot, and he tucked them in so nobody could see, because obviously he was on a special mission secret mission. And as soon as the Rebbe left the door, Little Litvak follows him out very quietly and follows behind. The so Litvak is keeping an eye on the Rebbe the whole time and he watches the Rebbe go into the forest, deep into the forest, where the Rebbe finds some dead trees and he starts cutting the trees down. And Once he cuts the trees down, he chops them into little pieces, ties them up with his rope and throws it over his shoulder and starts walking towards a nearby village at the outskirts of a village is a rundown house. house you know here in Eretz Yisrael when it's Rosh Hashanah time or the time of Stichot it's still a little bit of summer a, zoomer, a little bit of summer still here in Jerusalem but there in Ukraine this time of year it's getting very cold it might even snow in that little rundown house is a very old Jewish woman her family lives far away her husband died many years before And for a long time, she was able to take care of herself. But at this point, she's so old, she has a hard time even getting out of bed. There's no way for her to cut any wood to build a fire and keep herself warm. And so the Rebbe knocks on the door of this woman. And he doesn't speak in Yiddish. He speaks in Ukrainian. He speaks with a real Ukrainian accent. The Rebbe says, I have wood for sale. The woman says, what? Who are you? What are you doing here? The Rebbe says, my name is Vlad. And I have wood for sale. I want to sell you the wood. The woman said, sorry, Vlad. I don't have any money for wood. He said, it's very cheap. It's only six kopecks." She said, I don't even have six kopecks to give you. Sorry, go away. So Vlad, the rabbi, he gently opens the door. And walks in. The woman says, what are you doing here? I told you I can't afford your wood. He said, the wood is very cheap. I'm sure that you can find six kopecks to pay for this wood. She said, look, I'm a very poor woman. I'm old. I don't have any money. I don't have any anything. I'm freezing. So the Rebbe, he goes over to the fireplace, and he stacks up the wood. And then he goes, and he starts lighting a fire. The old woman, she shouts at him, and she said, didn't I tell you? I can't afford this. What are you doing? Vlad, the Rebbe, he said, don't worry. I know you're a Jew, and Jews know how to pray. I'm sure that if you ask your god to give you six kopecks." He'll give it to you. All you have to do is ask him. So I'm going to give you the wood on a loan. And when you have the six cupiks, you just give it to, what do you Jews call it? Your charity, tzedakah. You just give the money to tzedakah. And that's okay with me. The old woman could hardly get up out of bed. She didn't know what to say. In the meantime, the Rebbe goes to the fireplace and lights the fire. And as the fire is starting to light, he looks at the old woman and she can feel the warmth coming out of the fireplace. The Rebbe goes over to her covers her with the blanket. He says, very soon you'll have a very hot fire here and you'll be warm again. The woman is so tired, she just lays down and closes her eyes. The Rebbe fans the fire, adds some more wood, and the fire starts to burn. And he looks over at the woman and he sees that she's resting. The Rebbe takes out a little safer, a little book of slichot, and he quietly starts saying slichot near the fire. As the fire starts to burn stronger, the Rebbe's voice gets a little stronger. Tears are coming down the Rebbe's face as he's asking Hashem to forgive him for any transgressions that he or his Chasidim did that year. And once the fire is burning nice and strong, the Rebbe puts some water next to the woman's bed. He wishes her quietly in a whisper, The Shana Tova masuka. she shall have a good and sweet year. And Vlad, the lumberjack, slash Rebbe, walks out of the house. The whole time the Litvak has been watching this, at first from a distance, and then through one of the windows in the old woman's house. After watching this, the Litvak decides to become a chassid of the Nimerov Rebbe, And he spends the entire year in Nimerov with chassidim, learning, growing, becoming more of a Jew than he ever was before. In the next year, it's the beginning of the month of Ulul, and everybody's getting ready for slichot. Of course, the Svardim start in the beginning of Ulul, and the Ashkenazim start a week to a few days before Rosh Hashanah. And there in Nimerov, They're beginning to say Slichot. And as is their custom, the Chassidim turn to one another. And they say, where is our Rebbe? Our Rebbe is in heaven. Because every year in the time of Slichas, our Rebbe goes to heaven. And the Litvak, who is now a Chassid, when he hears this, he turns his eyes to heaven. And he says, our Rebbe goes to heaven? Maybe he goes to heaven. If not higher than heaven. If not higher. (Sings)
1: Alai 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 la
0: Thank you so much for listening, my sweetest friends. I want to thank one of the new supporters of the podcast, the Sheer family. Thank you very much for your kind words and your contribution. And you can become a contributor as well by going to my website, HasidicStory.com, H-A-S-I-D-I-C-Story.com. And you'll see there, besides all the episodes, and for anybody who wanted to know, by the way, I have everything categorized on the website if you go to All Episodes, You'll see I have all of the rebbies and a few subjects. For example, slichot stories like the ones I added today. And you'll also see a button there to become a contributor, a supporter. And any and all support is greatly appreciated. For any of the subscribers that listen on Apple Podcasts, there was a problem updating the story last week. So if you notice that there's a story missing, you can always go to the YouTube channel or to my website. And hopefully that'll be sorted out. Thank you again for listening. And I look forward to our next story together.